Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Welcome to Window Seat, live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Broadcasted live on Full Service Radio. I'm one-third of your host, Omari. My name is Omari. Usually we have uh, Alvin and Lisa sitting in with me, but today they're running late or uh, I don't know, maybe they had an emergency. Something came up, but they're not here right now, so they may show up. Right now I'm riding solo. Um, today we're provided this opportunity by the Adams Morgan Youth Leadership Academy, also known as Amila, to connect with you guys. Uh, we have a great guest today. We're going to be talking to Mr. Donald Stevenson. Donald is a community leader. He's been working to empower youth in D.C. for the last uh, 15 years, at least. At one point, Donald himself wasn't at risk youth. Donald likes to say he was given a number before he was given a name. Uh, Donald was born in prison. He was a child of two incarcerated parents. At one point, Donald himself was incarcerated. So we're going to find out uh, how he overcame his trials, his uh, rough beginnings to uh, get to a place where he's giving back to the community and the 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 children of life, the experiences that raised them. I mean. All right, so what's up, D? Ain't nothing much, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity um, to join you guys here on Full Service Radio, um, live from Window Seat, the Window Seat Show, uh, recording live from the Lion Hotel. Yeah, in before I, Adams let me let me say too that Donald is also a friend. We go back a few a few years, so and I know I reached out to him, and and he was like, "Whatever you need, uh, uh, I'm gonna be there." You know, Donald is a busy guy. He's he's out giving talks and supporting all the different nonprofit community organizations he works with youth in his free time uh you know so so i'm appreciative of taking some time for him to come and sit down with us hey no problem no problem so uh i gotta talk to you like i don't know you please so uh let's let's start from the from the beginning you were born where and uh yeah how'd you how'd you end up here with us today all right so um unfortunately but fortunately yeah um I was conceived while my mother was serving time in prison. Conceived? I was. I'm sorry, not conceived. Pre- I was about to Excuse say me. what the. I was. <laughs> I was born right um, at the time that my mother was serving um, time in prison on drug related charges. Okay. Um, um, luckily for me, um, my two caring grandparents, mm-hmm. um, the late Savita Rose and my father's mother, um, Martha Gathers. Um, jointly came together and took on the responsibility of raising me okay. um, to prevent from entering into um, the child welfare system. Right. Um, so I'm greatly appreciative of them and everything that they've instilled in me, mm-hmm. um, the moral compass that they helped me develop mm-hmm. um, to navigate um, being an African-American boy growing up in the inner city mm-hmm. um, with the burden that I had to carry, which was being a child of incarcerated parents. Um, so when, when people say to you, uh, where were you born? So someone asked me where I was born. I say I was born in GW, G- George Washington University Hospital, Washington, D.C. So when someone says, D, where were you born? What do you say? I tell, tell them the truth. I was born in prison. What prison? 
Huh? Which one? Where I was born, um, Manhattan Correctional Facility. So it's MCC. Wow. So you're from New York? Yeah. Okay. So did you grow up in New York or how'd you end up I in D.C.? I grew up here. Okay. Um, so five we was here, you know, New York had a real bad reputation on the drug epidemic. And yeah. we moved here to really not escape much. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's funny because you wanted to do... Uh, Excuse me. You wanted to create, um, move to create a better life, mm-hmm. you know, for your children mm-hmm. or whatever may have you. Um, and a lot of times people hear the stigma of the nation's capital as being mm-hmm. like, you know, this is the place where politicians are, you know, um, and not understanding like the 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 D.C. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, Washington, but mm-hmm. you don't know D.C. And this was um, was this like. Late 80s, early 90s? This was early 90s. Okay. But even before then, I always had family here, so I spent summers here. Right. Um, yeah. Like a very New- large family. That's, that's, a, that's a, a New York thing, right? In the yeah. summers, you always go down south. Yeah, it's all and, family. And, and, and then growing up here, mm-hmm. I don't consider this the south. But, right. well, you know, my family in New yeah. York, they, of they course consider, consider it the right. south. We right. don't consider it the south. Right. Okay. So, um, moving here. Um, to escape what was going on in New York, but actually the time period that we moved here, mm-hmm. it was really much more going on here than it was for me to get involved with in New York. Everything in New York is spread out. Everything here is very condensed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's concentrated as well mm-hmm. um, in, in regards to poverty, um, crime, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so many other things is... It's concentrated to where mm-hmm. certain people are, or certain demographic of people are. So it's it's like right dead in your face. So how old right? were you when you uh, when you um, moved here? Officially, all the way moved here. It was twelve. Twelve years old. So what was it like? Uh, you know, from birth to twelve, growing up with being raised by your grandparents in New York City. Uh, what part of New York did you live in? Um, and what was it like? being a young person and not having your parents. So at, so at work, we're, all right, so answer that and then we're going to come back because I also want to know um, how much of your life were you raised by your grandparents? How long were your parents uh, in prison? Okay. So, so um, it didn't really resonate to me what actually was going on yeah. until I became a lot much older. Okay. Um, for me, it was just... It was life. And, you know, sad to say is that, you know, growing up, all the men that I've ever known and loved went to prison mm. um, and were honored for doing so. Mm-hmm. So I felt I thought that that was part of being a man. I thought that every man at some point in his life goes to prison. Mm-hmm. So while I'm acting out, you know, doing me or just being a, a kid. No, yeah. being, being an asshole. Okay. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People would say, yo, if you don't do what you got to do, you're going to end up just like your father. They're saying that to try to correct my behavior, but not knowing that what you're doing is letting me know that what I'm doing is right. Right. It's going to get you where you want to be. Right. So that was somewhat like an aspiration for me. Mm. Um, And, you know, I always like, you know, we take the trips. We going back and forth up the road to see moms and see dad. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this is school or this is work, you know, never associating it with. Damn, they locked up. Mm-hmm. They ain't never really coming home. This is normal. Right? My superheroes were in prison. Like, mm-hmm. I got a report card. I took it to the jail. Right. You know what I'm saying? Those were the guys that I looked up to. Those were the guys that I didn't want to let down. Yeah. Um. Then as I got older, 
I understood the collateral damage that mass incarceration had begun to have on my development as a child, right? And, and mass incarceration being so prevalent in my life, you know what I'm saying? Damn, like, my mother's locked up, my father's locked up. Mother's Day come around in school. Everybody making Mother's Day cards, they taking them home. I got to mail mine. Wow. You know, so I became very, um, my imagination became to, you know, begin to explore. So I started to make stories up about where my mother or where my father was. Mm. Um, because I became shameful that they're in jail. Right. Um, and it, it really did something to me as a child um, where pretty much it distanced me away from facing my reality and, you know, the effects that it had on me. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, I would meet, like, my grandparents, they did a good job of trying to keep me in therapy sessions, get me the help that I need to talk about it, but I didn't really mm-hmm. feel the need to talk about it. Oh, you didn't think anything was wrong. I didn't think anything was wrong until I would tell people my story and I would see that they empathize with it so much. I'm like, okay. Now, the opportunity maximizer is beginning to create, is the creation of the opportunity maximizer is mm-hmm. coming now. Mm-hmm. So now I'm seeing like, okay, if I can get you to feel sorry for me, I, what else can I get you to do mm. out of your guilt? Mm. You know? So I started to manipulate the situation. But why? I mean, when people say manipulate, it, it usually gives uh, the manipulator a bad, um, people have a bad perception of the manipulator, right? Mm-hmm. And you didn't realize you were manipulating people as a kid, like you, you weren't actively saying, oh, I'm going to get this person. I'm going to get that person. Like, I, I mean, I, it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't sound like I it, right? So you wanted to get things, but it, did you know that you were, uh, your behavior was wrong or that there was harm? I didn't know that what I was doing was manipulation, mm-hmm. right, until I got older. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, so what age are we talking about? We're talking about, I mean, I think this started as early as probably nine, ten years old. Right. You know what I'm saying? I get in trouble for something, I lash out. Mm. First thing I do is I blame it on parents, my mother. Situation. Or I blame it on my father. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because I knew that was an easy scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's manipulation. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, growing up in the inner city, you learn how to make, you know, the things around you work for you. Survival. You know what I'm saying? It's a survival tactic. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's only called manipulation when... The person on the other end feels manipulated, right? <laughs> right? But to me, it's I'm you do finessing. What you gotta do. I'm finessing yeah, yeah, yeah. my situation, <laughs> right? right? Uh-huh. So, um, you know, that's I think growing up for me, just to bring it back, was it was it was like a ball of confusion and you know unexpressed emotions. Uh-huh. Um, because like I said, both my grandparents stepped up to the plate. Um, I love them dearly for it. I'm eternally grateful. Um, I mean, but my mother's mother, she raised all girls, right? Mm-hmm. So I was her first. I was the first male that she was tasked to raise, and she didn't really give me any emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really get a hug or kiss from her until she was, you know, um, suffering, you know, from cancer, which she later, you know, fell victim to. Mm-hmm. She succumbed to, you know, her illness. Um, but I didn't get a hug from her until those later stages. Um, or when I did get a hug for, I knew it was like a show. You know what I'm saying? She was doing it for somebody else. 
um, but she didn't really give me much affection, mm-hmm. you know, because she knew that I don't want, I didn't want him to be soft. Mm. You know, this is her first shot at raising a male. Mm. So she was learning. She didn't know how to raise right. a, a and male. And we were forced on her. Like, you know what I'm saying? I hate to say it that way, but, you know, grandparents want to be grandparents. Yeah. You know, but she took that responsibility. My other grandmother, my father's mother, had all males. Mm-hmm. So the only thing she knew how to do was, you know what I'm saying, give me what a male should give me. So it was from her that I learned how to cut grass. It's from her that I learned how to change tires. It was for her that I learned how, that I learned work ethic. Right. You know, I've been, I was filling out contracts with her since I was, what, probably eight, nine years old. Mm-hmm. If I want sneakers mm-hmm. and I ask her for the money, mm-hmm. she was like, okay, you know what? I need that. I need some grass cut. Mm-hmm. Or if it wasn't no work that needed to be done, mm-hmm. I need you to fi- sign this contract mm-hmm. and promise that when the work does come about that you'll complete this task i've been doing that since i was eight nine years old ah, wow. you know so one it taught me how to be a man of my word mm-hmm. two it taught me how as a man you should never ask for anything but what you can do in exchange for mm-hmm. know what it is that you need mm-hmm. um and that's the role that that she took you know with with raising me mm-hmm. um so they both had their own unique way of instilling that moral compass in me and the values that I needed um, to be standing here today. Wow. You know. That's big. So, so that so at what point um, did they say the environment, what part of New York were you in? I was in Harlem. So at what point did they say uh, they want to move to D.C. to get you out of Harlem? Where did you start to get in trouble? Were you, were you getting in trouble in school? Or was it just well, it was, it they was were just, afraid that you would suffer the same fate is your parents so they wanted to bring you to a better place so i think it was a mixture of things it was um it was the crime the drugs that was around um during that time and you know the involvement of a lot of my friends Mm -hmm. you know um and the passing of you know one of my older cousins i i call him a brother because he was like a brother to all of us we looked up to him that was the man Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying my cousin vernon he was killed right in front of my building um and at that time, my grandmother had an opportunity because all her sisters were here in Washington mm-hmm. um, to move and buy a home. And she took that opportunity. Um, so her oldest sister is still in New York where she stayed and raised her kids. Right. Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, it was a mixture of the violence, the drugs that were going on, and just the opportunity to create a better life. Um which wasn't so much different. Right. Right. So I, I think it's important uh, just to highlight that you, the story that you're given and telling and the, mm-hmm. the life that you experience is not a lot different from um, the childhood of a lot of young black kids who right. grew up in with their grandparents or maybe was raised by their mom. Right. Uh, because their father or both of their parents or one of their parents was uh, a victim of mass incarceration right. and um, having to learn or how to survive by people who weren't expecting to raise children right or uh, didn't have the tools to raise children weren't prepared for it or did, you know these children aren't there so you were lucky because you had your grandparents right but there were kids you know that did end up in foster care there were kids that ended up with family members or or friends of family members who really didn't um want them right and or the responsibility i shouldn't say they didn't want them they didn't want the responsibility like i would i would definitely have to say i was i am I was definitely blessed yeah. um, to have my grandparents step up to the plate. Right. Um, because even, like, my older sister, 
um, she had my grandparents as well, but her her role was a, a little bit more rockier than mine's. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I have a lot of peers that grew up with their parents incarcerated mm-hmm. or their parents um, strung out on crack cocaine or heroin mm-hmm. um, and having to live in those conditions, mm-hmm. right? So we all might have had we we had com- we had similarities, mm-hmm. but our lifestyle, our living conditions was totally different, right? Um, you know, a lot of them started to sell drugs early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, you know, I'm I'm fortunate, you know, to come out of that situation. But there's so many individuals that have um, that were born into that situation that weren't as fortunate, which mm-hmm. always brings me back and, you know, brings a sense of humility about it. Mm-hmm. Like I could have been way worse off. I know people who were way worse off. Mm-hmm. Um, that shouldn't be, that have shouldn't shouldn't have survived what they survived, but right. they did. So, right. um, you know, a lot of people they look and they say, "Well, you did this, and that's man, that's great, that's excellent." Don't pat me on the back, right? You know, because I'm just a product of the '80s, right? Um, you know, where one in every three households had a drug addicted parent, and um, we about to take a break, but you know, when we come back, I do want to talk to you about. How, although you are where you are today, mm-hmm. you did veer and go down. Yeah, I did that. Negative, yeah, yeah. So, so we're going to talk about that and then we're going to talk about how you got to where you are today. All right, cool. All right, my window seat. music from keto that's k-i-e-d-o on soundcloud we will be right back this is window seat keep it locked This is uh, Omari. I'm here with uh, Donald Stevenson. We're broadcasting live on Full Service Radio. This is uh, Window Seat. Um, I'm one third of of uh, of a hosting group that isn't. I'm I'm kind of riding solo today, but uh, Donald. I got you. I got yeah, you. Donald's I got you. here to support me. So um, before we were talking about, well, Donald is a, a, a. Donald likes to say he was given a number before giving a name. I like that, so I'm gonna keep repeating it. I think that's. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You should put that on your business card. You can run with it. I think I might. Think that's I might. a good one. I, it's in my... No, nah, it's not in my bio. It's not in my Facebook um, Instagram bio. But Don, Donald was uh, born in prison, a child of two incarcerated parents who grew up in the 80s during the crack e- epidemic era. Um, and uh, he overcame those uh, barriers, overcame his life situation, overcame his childhood uh, to work with youth in D.C., at-risk youth in D.C. We've been doing that for about 15 years. 
and uh, we're here to talk to him about his story and how he got to where he is today. And so right now you're about to explain how you got to D.C. Donald's from New York, right? Originally. Originally from but, New York. You know, D.C. But he's is, ra- my, he's, DC he's is rapping, my home. He's repping D.C. You've been One here, day. what, 40, 50 years now? 40, 50 <laughs> years? Damn. I've been, I've been here more than half of my life. So D.C. DC is home. Okay. You know, it's, it's home team. New York is considered to me my second home. Okay. Oh, when you're a New York fan, I'm going to make sure I ship this to all I mean, your New York fine. family. They're going to be like, you what? They, they call me DC when I'm okay. here. So it's, <laughs> but um, so you you uh, were raised by your grandparents, right. your mom's mother and your father's, and my father's mother. Right. Yep. And at one point they decided that they wanted to move you from Harlem to DC. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to talk to us about how that transition went and where you moved to when you came to DC? Um, well, my grandparents had a house on in the Fort DuPont area. Okay. Um, but my family is from... That's in Northeast D.C., right? That's in Southeast. Fort DuPont? Yeah. Okay. Um, but my family is... Uh, my family is one of the first families to move into social quarters. Okay. Um, and actually, they were very... Um, they played a very um, influential part in um, getting social quarters to become a co-op. Um, to get people to buy into the property. Okay. Um, one of the one being one of the largest families in that neighborhood since 1963. So, wow. um, they've been there for a long time. Wow. Right. So I spent a lot of time um, there. So when yeah. you when you came uh, to DC, you moved to Southeast mm-hmm. at Fort Dupont, and right. then how long were you there? Did you move to to the quarters? I was back and forth. Okay. You know, I spent most of my time in social quarters, you know, at Auntie Anne's house where everybody stayed. Right. You know, that was a house where on any given day, it's 20 heads in there. So what was it like being a New York kid moving to D.C.? I mean, you know, we got the flag. We came with the, you know, with the double layer haircuts, Mm -hmm. you know, the baggy clothes, Mm -hmm. you know, accent was a little stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we got a little, we got a, a lot of flag. But like I said before, the official move, I was here like every summer, so people was they, fa- they were familiar with us, right? Um, it's familiar with me, so um, I was just oh, your cousin from New York coming down this summer, yeah. And then I became, oh, and he here now, yeah. Quiet. So what was the transition like? Because the goal of the move was to put you in uh, a better environment, right? To like, help you escape the fate of, that your parents were suffering. So. I mean, for a while, anybody who know any New York, you can't keep them out of New York. So you couldn't keep me off the turnpike. I learned, you know, social calls is right down the street from the Greyhound station. Mm-hmm. Oh, Greyhound tickets, $50? Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to get that together. Boom. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a bus. My grandmother looking for me. She called my uncle. Mm-hmm. He told her, oh, he's here. You've been here for a week. <laughs> this is at what age you, you decided this you go to? 13, wow. 14 years old. Okay. I was, I'm, I'm going... Over Uncle Tony House, basketball okay. tournament this summer. I'm there. Okay. So I still was back and forth to New York every chance I get. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I really, really became entrenched in DC culture, um, GoGo helped break that barrier. You like GoGo? I didn't at first. To my first show at the Black Hole. Okay. So it was the it was the energy of GoGo. It that was got the energy. You. Okay. It was the energy. The girls. Of the go-go and then the popularity of the individuals that I kept around me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was like, okay, this is the spot. Okay. And I ain't miss a Friday for right. about almost three, four years consecutively. Okay. Right? 
um i mean in between times but and so for for everyone that's listening that's not from dc gogo is a a, a native uh music of dc right how would you describe the, gogo gogo is the soundtrack to dc okay you can't talk about dc and not mention gogo in the same conversation right um it's it's sad because it's becoming a forgotten piece mm-hmm. of the puzzle of DC. Mm-hmm. Um, kids now haven't experienced a go-go. That's true. They, they, there's no place to go. There's to, no place. There's no place for go-go. But go-go is a is part of it's the fabric mm-hmm. to me that mm-hmm. keeps the DC mm-hmm. together. And so, uh, me knowing you. And, and knowing a little bit about you and your story, I know that you going to Go-Go's and getting more comfortable in D.C., mm-hmm. in your environment in D.C., helped take you down a path right. that was that was the path that your your grandparents were trying to, right. to keep you so, from. So, um, you know, Go-Go's in the 90s, early 2000s weren't the safest place to be, right? I remember times at the Black Hole where people, parents would pull up at the front and snatched them out of the crowd. Right. And um, Big G, the band leader of the band, mm-hmm. shout out the backyard. Yeah. Um, Big G, um, shout out to all the bands, TCB, TOB, um, all the other alphabet bands, Red Essence, <laughs> Junkyard, Chuck Brown, may he rest in peace. Um, you know, but people, they would pull up to the front of the go go mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm here to get my daughter. And they make a loud announcement over the speakers. Your parents outside. You got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. You ain't got to leave. You got to go. Mm-hmm. People, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't a place that you, you know what I'm saying? You want to get a a call and say, look, I just saw your son or your daughter going in the black hole. You might want to go and get her. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of a lot of trouble came um, because, like I said, Go-Go did, used to bring communities together. But... You had communities that had differences too, mm-hmm. so a lot of beefs um, spiraled out of control because of the meeting ground that GoGo mm-hmm. um, provided. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that, I've started to engage in, you know, reckless activity early on, carrying a pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't driving without a license, mm-hmm. you know, all these things, and it led me to. You know the early introduction into the juvenile justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have it as bad as a lot of my peers had it, but you know I, you know I had my stints there, mm-hmm. um, and that was a time when, you know, even the juvenile justice. I I work in the juvenile justice system now, right? And it's completely different than it was, you know, when I was introduced to it. It was a lot more. It's a lot more aggressive environment. Um, then than it is now mm-hmm. um so it was pr- pretty much like preparatory school for gladiator school mm-hmm. which is the penitentiary system okay and now i'm your host omari here with donald stevenson okay. window seat full service radio um so and let me know if i'm asking too much but you nice. said you you had a couple of uh stints what would you do <laughs> um well most of my charges um you know, derived from the illegal possession of a firearm. Okay. Um, this is at what age? This is beginning at 15. Mm-hmm. No, in fact, 15, the original charge was driving a vehicle, 
a UUV, mm-hmm. unauthorized use of a vehicle in which mm-hmm. they found a firearm in it. Right. Um, spent some time away mm-hmm. for that. Came home. When I came home, my neighborhood was in the midst of a big beef. Mm-hmm. So got my hands on another firearm. Right. Got caught. Um, this was around 2000. In fact, I got caught on the night that one of the day after one of my best friends was killed. Um, rest in peace, Millhouse. Um, and I got caught. Um, and that entered me into the adult system. Mm. And it was at that point where I really had to fight my way out of that situation. How old were you? Um, I think I just turned 18. Okay. I just, it was December. I turned 18 that October. Okay. Um, and having to fight my way out of that situation and understand and see, you know, the faces of individuals that was looking at 50, 60 years mm-hmm. and the sense of hopelessness, um, you know, that existed deep down in that core. Just seeing that, I was like, yo, this is not a place where I'm trying to be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Now, if I put myself in a position where I had to, then I would have to do what I had to do to adjust and coexist in that environment. Mm-hmm. But it's not a place where I would willingly you know, just sit, lay down and, you know, take as my destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know prison is designed to do one or two things. Um, and neither one of them is to rehabilitate. Um, they're designed to dehumanize and desensitize you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're put in the most inhumane environment. Mm-hmm. You're forced to coexist with hundreds of individuals. So you have to learn the different mindsets, the different behavior patterns of all these individuals around you. Some of these individuals have three and four different personalities that you got to learn um, because of because mental health is so rapid. Um, D.C. jail right now is probably one of the largest mental health institutions in the nation. Um, there's a large percentage of individuals that are housed at D.C. jail right now, probably more than half. Don't quote me on it. But I'm pretty confident in saying that mm-hmm. um, probably more than half suffer from many different mental health um, issues. And there's a lot of studies out there that would uh, that argue that um, being in prison would uh, one can develop a mental health issue right. from being incarcerated. So you can be locked up mm-hmm. and be fine when you locked up, but then serving time in prison, being in that such a traumatic environment for such a long period of time, you can develop a uh, mental health issue. There's even um, a study done that states that if one does five or more years in the penitentiary system, mm-hmm. that he's unfit mentally to return back to society under the ex- expectations to live and thrive and function as, yeah. and function as a productive, a productive member of society, society because mm-hmm. of the things that he's witnessed. Right. You know, he can come in being as honest and pure. Right. But when on any given day, you can see a murder take place in the more in the most horrific form. Mm-hmm. And you have to train yourself to not see what's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. You have to train yourself to not hear what's, you know, pumping in your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes you. That's where the desensitization, the desensitization mm-hmm. comes from, right? <laughs> I had to take my time with right, that. Right. Um, DC Public School, <laughs> shout out to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and not and, and, and not only um, 
do the inmates become desensitized, but the community becomes desensitized too because you're no longer a part of the community. They tell us if you've been arrested, if you spur time in jail, um, you know, you're not human. You've committed this horrific crime, even though we don't know what the crime was. And the idea is you deserve to be in this environment, right? I would think that's the community outside the community. Okay. Now, the communities that are directly affected by it, like mm-hmm. I said, mostly urban communities, mm-hmm. um, prison is a rite of passage, mm-hmm. right? Um, when those individuals come home, they're celebrated. Right. You did that time. You you took it on the chin like a man. You stood 10 toes, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, rah, rah. It sounds real sweet. And when you come home, you get you get this, you get that. Mm-hmm. Big party is thrown. Mm-hmm. Those, those guys are celebrated, right? Yeah. But the the void that it creates, like you take men out of the household, you rob communities of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, you create and false women. Men, and, yeah. women yeah. and women and um, women. You create false perceptions of what man and womanhood is, mm. um, or what it is to provide. Right. Right. So now you have this little boy who grows up thinking, like I thought that you know, it's nothing wrong with selling drugs. Right. Um, honestly, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day. I never fathomed me being a husband. Right. Mm-hmm. I grew up and I was cool with being a baby father with at least two baby mothers mm-hmm. just taking care of my <laughs> at kids. Least two. <laughs> at least two. You know what I'm saying? Just taking care of my kids. Right. Right. Because I didn't grow up. In a community of husbands Right I grew up in a community Of boyfriends and baby fathers Right Right And even taking care of your kids uh, That That uh, The idea of taking care that of your kids is, changes Yeah that's distorted Because right. You're not in the household With your kids You're not seeing your kids right. Every day You're not influencing You're not teaching your kids The things that they need my On idea, a daily basis My idea of taking care of my kids Was keeping them fresh Right Right, right. Until The new J's come out They need them Until I had My first daughter Right and until her shoes started to cause just as much as mine. Right. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> nah. We ain't yeah. gonna do it this way. My second daughter came about, I could pick up a pair of Nikes versus a pair of light up new whatever the and target. she gonna wear those uh-huh. shoes to death mm-hmm. and I'm wasting money at the end of the day. Right. So, you know, once I be once I became a parent, my whole idea of parenthood changed. My whole idea of what it means to take care of a child changed. Like mm-hmm. reading a book um, to a child and knowing that my daughter can't go to sleep without having a book read to yeah. her. That's wow, I never had that, yes. right? You know what I'm saying? Sitting down with my son and just watching him. So it took it took you becoming a parent before you realized right. what you missed not having your parents. Right. And I knew that um I knew that I didn't want my children to go through anything that i went through how were you Um, when you had your first first child i was 25 wow right and i don't think that i and my daughter taught me how to be a parent Mm. i mean nobody knows how to be a parent right um every child is different you can't tell me oh i got six kids i know how to be a parent no because that seventh kid might be something totally different right right and you got to learn relearn that Mm -hmm. so there's no blueprint on how to be a parent but i knew how i how I didn't want a parent. And I don't want to take away from what your grandparents did. And then when you moved to DC, you had a larger 
family that was supporting you, right? So they did have you in programs, right? After school things. You used to box. Am I, I used correct? to box, right? Um, so where'd you box? I boxed at Lincoln Multicultural Center, okay, um, which is now I think it's Bell. They combined yeah, them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm. You know, one of the original members of, and I say this proudly, mm-hmm. um, Headbanger for Life, All right, class of '96. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, is now they they now locate over at um, uh, Boy Eagle Recreation Center Excuse in me. Southeast DC. Yeah, south southwest DC, but like huh? southeast. Oh yeah, right, yeah. right, right. On the okay, it's the okay, southeast. Okay. All right. Part of the southwest. Right. That's what they say, right? So we we broadcasting live from from DC, y'all. Okay. So we might uh, make reference to some DC institutions, but uh, if you're visiting, just just check out some of these places. Yeah, Google it. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they kept my grandparents kept, did a great job in keeping me in activities. Um, my mother's mother, who, like I said, I was her first male that she was tasked at raising, right? right. But first and only. Um, but she did a great job with surrounding me with. Um, positive men mm-hmm. um, She knew that That was a void And she knew that That was something That she couldn't do She couldn't teach me How to be a man mm-hmm. So She kept me around Positive men Okay um, But the thing was That They weren't my pops mm-hmm. You know Growing up I knew that mm-hmm. You know um, And I I think I was a little Resistant in dealing with them But mm-hmm. A lot of their efforts You know And persistence Didn't go you know, I'm favored. Like it resonated with me to this day. There are lessons that I learned from um, my man Mike, um, first barber that I had over at Banks Barbershop. Who, when I went to high school, I graduated from Phelps Career High School, mm-hmm. um, where I took barbering. Oh, my nephew goes to Phelps. Now. Yeah, now it's like an engineering. Yep. Preppy. Was, yeah. Back then it was barbering and auto mechanics and cosmetology, <laughs> right? Um, but Mike felt. Um, found out that I was going there I was taking a barber And he bought me my full First set of clippers wow. Let me come in the barber shop And screw people haircuts up right. <laughs> You know And he'll fix right. it But every I used to go to the barber shop For more Than just a haircut yeah. You know what I mean I used to go there You know When I want to fight I take my trophy there Or I want an award I take this there Or if mm-hmm. I just wanted to get on their nerves mm-hmm. I'd go in there and talk trash mm-hmm. And might kick me out of the barber shop right. And call me back Right you know, so I got more from the barbershop. Right. Um, and I ran track, so a lot of my track coaches, um, my boxing coach, um, shout out to Barry Hunter, um, who was a father figure to all of us mm-hmm. um, that were in that small basement. Any Anybody, I want to say 25 and older, know what that basement looked like um, when we was in there, um, you know, bumping, busting leather. It, yeah. it produced a lot of champions. Um, but... He was he was that father figure that none of us had, right? Um, and you know it was the fear of disappointing him that kept a lot of us on track, right? Um, you know I think it's important, and I want to highlight this because um, mass incarceration, what it did to the black community, was take a lot of important uh, uh, father figures and fathers and and leaders in the community and put them in prison, right? And what um, I think. You, you would say is a culture a cultural aspect of uh, the black community is that we even if we're not blood family mm-hmm. we connect and we treat each other as family right so you while you didn't have your parents you had a lot of influence in your influences in your life and people that stepped up and acted as 
uh, family members. So they right. may have filled in different roles. They understood your situation. You didn't have to explain to them what you were going through. Right. But because they were a part of the community, because they recognized that you were a young person that needed this support, this guidance, this assistance, they set, stepped in without expecting anything in return. Right. And they uh, filled in where they believed they could. So your barber supported you in that area with in his area of expertise. And your boxing coach supported you in his area of expertise. But it was all to try to help fill a void. And I think that that happens a lot. Right. And I think even now where you are today, um, you're doing that in a way. Right. Right. So, um, so, I mean, you know, taking on a role as, you know, a pillar in your community. Right. Um, you know, activist. Or just mentor. Right. Um, unconsciously, we also sign up to be that surrogate father, mother, mm-hmm. uncle, mm-hmm. big brother. Mm-hmm. You know, extended family. And my, I have a lot of individuals that I call family. Like, oh, that's uncle such and such, or that's my cousin. We don't have no blood relation. Right. But the connection we have couldn't make us any more. You know what I'm saying? Nothing other than family. Right. Right. Because of. You know, whatever it is, whatever connection it is that we have, whatever you poured into my life, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you get it more from outside family members than you do from family members. Right. Um, you know, so for, I mean, in the black community, in the hood, everybody's related. Um, but, yeah, so being, being mentors to other people now, mm-hmm. um, you know, you take up. Pretty much whatever void it is in their life, un- unknowingly, mm-hmm. um, like they call on you on birthdays, they call on you in moments of crisis, they mm-hmm. call on you um, to celebrate. Um, so, what what motivated you to get into, uh, or is this something that just happened? I think that I I don't think I was so much motivated to get into. I think I was groomed to assume this role. Mm-hmm. Um, my adverse childhood experiences, my yeah. unique life experiences, right. whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, from birth have has groomed me to be to play the role that I play today. Right. Um, is what, what role is that? Can you describe? Um, so professionally, I work as a youth development representative for okay. the Department of Youth Rehabilitation Services, okay. um, which is the agency, the government agency that services in court youth here in Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, outside of that... But wait, what do you do as a youth? I am a youth development representative. Which, describe a little bit about what you do. What All right, what demographic of uh, children do you work with as a youth development representative? I think it's important. I work with um, in court and previously in court adjudicated youth. Okay. So um, you... Kids that are locked up... Uh-huh. And and kids that have been previously locked up, kids like you used to be, right? And kids like you grew up around. Right. So, do you believe you have a, a, a ability, a unique ability to relate to them to because connect? of the yeah? Um, for the most part, I do. Okay. Um, but then you know times change and huh, demographics change, so it's I find it a little harder mm-hmm. to connect with today's. Incarcerated youth on certain levels. Okay. Um, then I have, you know, found ease in doing so in the past. Okay. Um, because the the times have changed so much. Um, the criminal behavior has changed. Mm. Um, it's not so like me growing up. You young kids, six, fifteen, sixteen years old, was selling drugs. 
you know, at a rapid rate and making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now that hustler doesn't exist. Right. Now we have shoplifters. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So back then you had you, kids was getting locked up for driving cars without a license, but cars that they bought. Right. Now we have carjackers. Yeah. Or kids getting locked up for fave agent hopping the train. Right. Um, so the crimes now, we're starting to see more nuisance crimes mm-hmm. be committed. Um, but they're being uh, prosecuted at an even more harsher rate. Right. Um, and I want to say this and be safe where it doesn't be like a conflict of interest with my job, but... Um, well, don't, don't say it. We, don't, okay. we, we ain't trying but what to I will, lose their jobs. <laughs> what I will say is this, though. What I will say is this. Um, D.C. is at a very unique place in regards to incarceration. Okay. Um, as you know, um, as many of us as you know but many of us who may not know Mm -hmm. um if you commit a felony offense in the district it's it's automatically a federal charge right whereas in other states they have state jurisdiction and they have federal jurisdiction right um our local and state um facility has been closed since 1996 which was law and penitentiary right um and once that closed um, the D.C. inmate now became, even if he caught a federal charge, he did his crime, at, he did his time in law. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, since they closed that facility, our our inmates, our loved ones that are convicted of felony offenses um, are sent anywhere in the United States of in America. In the federal presentation. In the federal, in the FBOP, the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Right. Um, they're supposed to go within a 500-mile radius of their charge. Yeah. Um, but depending on... Their point level, their risk, their risk score, mm-hmm. will determine how how what distance within that five hundred mile radius. And when you go. say their point level risk score, you mean what level security prison? Right. Okay. Um. So you have individuals that commit crimes, and their first destination might be Long Park, um, California, Max, or Victorville, California, Max, or you know. Fin- I've seen individuals go as far as Iowa, yeah. um, New Hampshire. And that affects them, their ability to, to see connect family. with their family. Um, it affects... If they if they have an attorney, right. they would hire an attorney that lives in, in D.C. or in the surrounding area. So how could you see your attorney? How could you communicate with your attorney outside from a telephone? But one of the biggest things that it creates, it creates that, 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 that disconnect within families. Right. Um, so and and that's one of the things that is so vital to the inmate is his connection with his family, his connection to the outside world and what's going on right. and him having a uh, a connection of value. Mm-hmm. Um, being closer to home still gives you the option, the opportunity to have an effect on the rearing of your children. Mm-hmm. While Lawton would still exist, I took my report cards there. Right. I used to go there when I got boxing trophies and and receive gifts for doing for being for doing great things. Right. My pops got sent to um, Columbus, Ohio. Then from there, he went to where did he go? Um, right after that, he went from Ohio to I can't think of it. He'd been so many places. It was far. But it was far. <laughs> um, so. 
and back then we had GPS and yeah. all of that. You had the map question, write the directions down and make it there how you gonna make it there. Um and in addition to you working with the incarcerated youth mm-hmm. um on your free time. I also mentor kids of incarcerated parents. Um right. me and a good my my main Apple Scrapper, my brother from another mother, mm-hmm. um, Mr. Tony Lewis Jr., who is a avid advocate mm-hmm. um, for the returning citizen population. Right. Um, we started, a, he, myself, um, along with three of our other friends, um, Keyway Hughes, Mike um, Filson, mm-hmm. Mike Wilson, excuse me, and Alec Vincent, we started an initiative called Sons of Life, mm-hmm. um, where we all are children of incarcer- who have incarcerated parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so we knew the importance of recreating that platform that a child of incarcerated parents stands upon mm-hmm. um, and showing kids that just because your parents are in this situation does not mean that you can't be, you know, who we represent today. Because mm-hmm. statistics show that if you are a child of incarcerated parent, you stand an 80% likelihood of entering into the prison system yourself. Mm-hmm. Being a victim or perpetrator of violent offenses, mm-hmm. being having children out of wedlock, mm-hmm. dropping out of high school, falling victim to alcoholism and drug abuse, mm-hmm. amongst so many other negative things, mm-hmm. right? There's no statistic that say you're going to be a pillar of your community. Someday you're going to be somebody's husband. You're going to be somebody's father. You're going to be an influence, a positive influence over. Generations of people mm-hmm. it, no, Nothing says that So, so uh, D we about to wrap up So I'm gonna ask you I'm Two sorry, more questions Now you could you, Oh we gotta go man. Yeah, I like this Cause we getting in the flow Cause we <laughs> uh, We could be right But there. yeah we're just getting hot right But we, we gotta take We gotta go okay. I wanna ask you Two more questions sure. I'm trying um, to be short Right So but we here Donald Stevenson I'm your host Omari Francis Full service radio Alright um, If you could Do one thing To uh, Affect or change the course of um, children who are um, victims of mass incarceration because they're victims as well as the parents who are uh, incarcerated and it's something that's happening today we talk about it as if it was something that happened in the past it's still happening today um, you know what would you change and just let's just talk about DC because I know you mentioned the, um, so, so let me refer let me so your question is, what could I do to change the course of... If you could change something, could, whether it's a law, whether it's uh, the placement of, of uh, um, inmates, just one thing to improve, because... If, if I could change or... Inf- or um, if you could influence... Or influence change, or change a yeah. law, um, I think my focus would be on keeping our loved ones within that 500 mile radius okay and also working with um working with the agencies that service um these individuals upon their release mm-hmm. um to be a look be more proactive in establishing that family connection okay um whether it's with dc public schools uh, whether it's through provide more resources to um the workforce development programs mm-hmm. to, to help these individuals and support them when they come home so mm-hmm. that they can be contributing members and can stay home for the sake of their kids. Right. Um, but just do whatever I can do to improve that connectivity okay. um, and strengthen that family bond um, during that process. Okay. My, my final question, if you had a message or if you could uh, give 
uh, a few words to the youth um, to inspire those who are children of incarcerated parents or who are in an environment that's, that's a difficult one, maybe similar to an environment that you came from, uh, what word would you give them? I don't want to say a word. Do I got time to just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to... So, my grandmother was an avid card player, and one thing that she used to always do is associate lessons, life lessons with card games. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I used to come at her with all these questions about why this, why that, about my upbringing. And she would say, life is like a a hand of spades. In spades, you don't control the hand that you're dealt. Mm -hmm. But you have to look through that hand, you have to strategically analyze that hand, and you have to say, and you have to see, identify... What are your books and what are your possibles, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't renege. So you have to strategically look at the hand that you're dealt. Look at what you have going for you. Look at what you have going against you. And you have to strategically play that hand out to the best of your ability, which will develop a stronger character, which will aid in your success and the value system that you embrace as a man or woman growing up. Um, so... My thing is, we don't choose the hand we dealt, but we got to play it. We can't play into it. We have to play it out. I hear that. Thanks a lot. All right, my man. Appreciate you. Appreciate you coming. That was Mr. Donald Stevenson. Hey, no, live, from, live from window seat. Live from Adams Morgan. Adams Morgan. Line <laughs> Hotel. Line Hotel. Window seat window radio seat show. Window seat radio show on full service radio. Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.